0: Hello, and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am John, and if you can imagine, this is season two, episode two, but this is also, if my calculations are correct, this is episode number 20. Chris, uh, would you believe that we are up to episode number 20?
1: 20, we're out of the teens, man.
0: We are out of the teens, and... uh I mean, who would have thought that make it 20 and look, I, I know there's probably some listeners out there who are thinking, well, you guys have been at this since April, uh, 20 episodes is is really not anything that special. You know, listen, haters going to hate, right. But, um, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that go into these episodes, Chris, I'm sure you would agree. There
1: is. yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should do a blood, sweat and tears album. You got me thinking now. Um, but but yeah (laughs) when we run out of ideas yeah we might it's crazy how how fast it's gone by you'd think that during a pandemic things would go slowly and painfully but it feels like it's gone by pretty quickly
0: well time flies when you're having fun i suppose and uh it it is crazy to think that you know we started in april of this year and here we are it's mid-september and that in and of itself just just blows my mind that we're in Mid-September, I keep thinking, where the hell did the summer go? Uh, but no, Chris, mid-September, please tell me you're not out there in the Pacific Northwest drinking pumpkin spice latte and all that shit.
1: <laughs> wow, that's really, you've got some issues with uh, some deep stuff going on. That was kind of aggressive. Um, no, but I'll tell you what, we did have, there were some forest fires up in northern Washington and I guess Idaho. That drifted over here, and uh, it's been a little apocalyptic. Like the skies have been super hazy. Uh, there's been some crazy winds. It it's kind of a little Mad maxi
0: out here right now. Oh wow! We might have to uh, might have to do an episode devoted to apocalyptic music. I'm not, I'm not really sure what that would be, but uh, no, I I don't either. But well, I'm sure we could come up with something. I, you still dodge the question about pumpkin spice latte, though. I don't do
1: I. I've been doing chai chai lattes. I mean, iced because it's summer. But, you know,
0: I, not pumpkin spice. Okay, good. Uh, you know. Pumpkin men should not eat or drink anything pumpkin spiced, as far as I'm concerned. I
1: don't. That's you know. That's so. That's so heteronormative. And uh, 2018 of you, John, and um, I don't really know if I want to have a pumpkin spice latte, John. I'm going to have a pumpkin
0: spice latte. Well, listen. This is the perfect segue because speaking of of, um, swaggering heterosexual men, why don't you introduce tonight's album? (laughs) <laughs> um, or this,
1: this week's album, rather. Yeah, we've got a great album. This is from the year 1990. The album Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1 by George Michael, the late, great George Michael. Um, yeah. yeah. We've sort of billed this as albums that we both have loved for a long time and, and a little behind the scenes here, it's not always quite that way. You know, One of us may have more familiarity with an album and say to the other one, you got to listen to this. and. That was kind of the case here. John was a big fan of this album. I was vaguely familiar with it, you know, so I, I really got to dive into it over the last
0: couple of weeks. And man, you're right, it's brilliant. It really is. I, I, I absolutely love this album. And when you think about time flying and when you think about September, I mean, this month, this September marks 30 years since the release of this album, which is insane because I, I remember when this album was released. And this is a bold and a courageous album uh, by an insanely talented artist who is no longer with us, sadly. And it's an artist that really should not be forgotten. You know, we we did last week uh, the, the Eagles, and, and Glenn Frey is no longer with us. Nobody's going to forget Glenn fry He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We we devoted an episode to Bowie last season. And of course, Bowie's always going, always going to be everywhere. People should not and cannot forget just how damn talented George Michael was. And I think that's important. And, and I mentioned a moment ago, Chris, this was a courageous album. Uh, and I think you would agree, because after the wild success of his 1988 solo album, Faith, which, you know, that, that made him one of the most famous pop stars in the world. And at that point he was rivaling the likes of Michael Jackson and Madonna. After that crazy success, George Michael desperately went out of his way to shed the image of a 1980s MTV pop star pinup. And I think with Listen, uh, I was about to say with Listen closely, but with Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, he insisted on being taken seriously as an accomplished singer-songwriter. And while I don't think the public, and in particular his record label, uh, were quite so ready for that in 1990, let's face it, they wanted faith Volume 2, Not Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1. Uh, I think time has proven very kind to this album. And here we are, 30 years later. And in my opinion, it holds up as his best work. Yes, Faith had the hits, right? I mean, almost every song, Chris, on Faith was was a was a smash. You had the title track, I Want Your Sex, Father Figure, One More Try, Monkey. I, I can go on, right? Oh,
1: I think people forget just how big Faith was in nineteen eighty. Faith
0: was huge. Everywhere and just constantly on the radio. He was huge. You you couldn't escape it. And then two years later, with Listen Without Prejudice Volume One, the album comes along and I think it succeeds as a testament to George Michael's versatility as a singer, songwriter, musician. Because the album crisscrosses various genres in, in the span of really 10 tracks. And, and those genres include everything from soul, jazz, funk, disco, bossa nova, and even a little bit of anthemic rock and roll. There's a subgenre of music that gets thrown around these days that I think really uh, peaked in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, and that's blue-eyed soul, right? It's, it defines... Artists and acts like in Oates, Simply Red, uh, Robert Palmer, Go West. I know you were a Go West fan, Chris. Don't lie to me. Um, but looking back, I feel like between Faith and 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 this album, George Michael sort of perfected the genre of of blue eyed soul, and this is it at its absolute finest, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it, I mean you're right. He covers so many genres in this album, and it you know it really is him. I mean, my God, he, you know, in 1988, every woman in the world wanted George Michael, him in the jean jacket and the, the most impeccable stubble that you've ever seen. That uh, stubble
0: from- was amazing. <laughs>
1: it was. Um, yeah, I mean, he was a huge sex symbol, kind of a pop idol. And it seems like this was him saying, hey, I can do a bunch of other stuff, guys. Like, I'm not just somebody who's going to shake his ass in these tight jeans. And it seemed almost like he was just like, all right, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to throw the gospel at you. I'm going to throw the blue eyed soul. I'm going to throw like some acoustical kind of guitar songwriting type stuff at you. And, um, you know, I think for the vast majority of it, he, he really shows that he's very talented, was very talented.
0: He was. And you know, on this album, he plays acoustic guitar, bass and keyboards, on nearly every single one of the 10 tracks on the album. He even plays drums on Praying for Time. I mean, that's, that's pretty substantial for a guy that I think a lot of people just dismissed as, as a, you know, like you said, the, the one that all the girls were crazy about, the pin-up, the, the MTV darling. I mean, he was a major, major talent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a very revealing album, I think. You know, uh, when you listen to the lyrics... It's deeply personal. A lot of artists over the years have said, oh, you know, I wrote this album and it was very personal to me, and yet everything's still a little cryptic. Um, But when you read his lyrics, when you listen to the lyrics, it's very clear, in some cases, what he's singing about. And, And not just on this album, but years later. I mean, you remember his very public arrest in 1998 for soliciting sex in a public restroom. Yeah. Um, he wrote a song about that, uh, you know, and then in, in 2012, he was in a coma with pneumonia for several weeks and he got out and he wrote a song called, uh, White Light, which was all about being in a coma. I mean, this guy wasn't afraid to go there. And, um, he mentioned the women really liking him, but looking back now, how did nobody know that this man was homosexual? <laughs> was it just that it was. 30 years ago and you know they kind of didn't talk about that stuff as much.
1: I think that's exactly it. I mean it, there's so many I think uh, whether it's actors or singers like that where I mean what is that <laughs> they kind of poke fun at this whole idea in Austin Powers right when he wakes up and like,
0: <laughs> Liberace, yeah,
1: oh boy he really had them all fooled. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I think people, it was just sort of a a willful ignorance, you know, you just, not only did you not really talk about it, but you didn't kind of acknowledge that it might be the underlying reality. Um, Yeah. And I, you know, I think, like, like I think a lot of this album is him saying, hey, I've been portrayed this way and I want to show who I am. And I... I think that kind of dovetailing with that in terms of his artistic aura at that point, I think the fact that he was a closeted homosexual plays into this album pretty heavily. Like, I just think it's, it's one thing to be portrayed as the pinup icon, you know, when you don't want to be just the sex symbol. And then you layer on top of that, like, I'm, you know, he's not even into women. Like, so he's playing multiple roles here. And I feel like that, that
0: comes into this. um... Oh, absolutely. And again, I go back to this being a courageous album. It was a big gamble that he took by, by, I think the, what you described sort of dealing with his sexuality, wanting to shed the image of being this pinup and you know, unfortunately, it all sort of blew up in his face. Uh, we're going to get to the critical reception in a moment, but this gamble that he took resulted in, well, very mixed reviews, lackluster album sales, and uh, George Michael having to go to court with his record label. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we all remember that. That was all over the news in the early 90s. Yeah, no, that was a That was
1: a huge deal that I think people have have forgotten about. Um, It's my
0: understanding that he alleged that the record label failed to promote the album, uh, not to the fullest of their extent, because it was their way of punishing him when he made the decision with this album to downplay his status as a sex far-fetched when you when we we talk of it, but it, it's quite possible that that was the case back in 1990.
1: Oh, I feel like it's pretty likely. I mean, but, I, you know, these big studios. I mean they they want to do whatever they can to to pump as much money out, and here you have a guy who's who they know can sell 20 million albums, and he comes to you with an album you know, where he's kind of doing uh, everything from gospel to sultry lounge, you know, nightclub singing, um, they're, they're not going to like it and they're going to do everything they can to, um, to show people, hey, you gotta, you got to live by our rules. And if that means punishing
0: him, I could totally see that happening. A- absolutely. So yeah. let, let's talk for a moment about the critical reception because it was quite mixed. Um, critics and fans alike didn't know what to make of this album when it was released. Rolling Stone magazine gave it three and a half out of five stars. It a little bit better with the Chicago Tribune. They gave it three and a half out of four stars. But one of the more interesting quotes I pulled was from Entertainment Weekly at the time the album was released. They gave it a B minus. And they wrote that the album gets boring Faith might have been pushy and brash, but it was amazingly vital and much more fun. If Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, polished, pretentiously titled, and for all its noble sentiment, entirely unchallenging, is the best music the newly matured George Michael can give us, I'm going to mourn the unsufferable brat he apparently thinks he used to be. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> So that probably didn't sit well with them. And compared to Faith, the album's a commercial disappointment. It sells 2 million copies in the United States compared to 7 million, which is what uh, Faith sold. Yet still, at the 1991 Brit Awards, it wins Best British Album. So go figure. Um, What do you say? Shall we talk about our picks? I I think so, yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, so let's, uh, Chris, talk to me about um, your Nadir here. I'm curious what you went with.
1: Well, I don't think there's a lot of bad songs on this album. Um, But I do, you know, while I don't think the album gets boring by any means, like that reviewer said, um, I do think it tails off a little towards the end in the second half um, and to me the one song that I really can't get into is Soul Free. Um, <laughs> next to the last one it's got what maybe you'd call it like an acid funk uh, I don't know what you'd call it but it's sort of it just screams of like Jamiroquai to me.
0: Um, Although it's a precursor to Jamiroquai, we gotta give it that much.
1: Yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. That, you know, he's doing Jamiroquai, you know, what, five, 10 years before Jamiroquai is doing Jamiroquai. And I I guess for what it is, it's well put together and well done. It's just, I'm just not a big fan of that that style. Uh, Kind of grates
0: on me. I am 1000% in agreement with you as mine there as well and this was the only pick that was easy for me uh this was a no-brainer i just don't feel like it belongs on the album and i i just envision you know he's he's recording the album and one of the ex- execs from the record label comes in and is like george we need another danceable song on the album And uh, why why did I make the record label exec just sound like Paul McCartney? Was that kind of weird? Well, anyway, um, I just feel like they're thinking, all right, this album needs one more danceable track because the only other one is Freedom, which is a phenomenal song. And I think he decides to sneak one more danceable track that sounds like it could have been on Faith maybe or a B-side. To faith, and he sneaks it in on track number nine out of ten. It doesn't come close to to being faith. Um, or, uh, to, to when I say faith, doesn't come close to being freedom, rather or anything on faith. Soul free is a disappointment um, in an otherwise fantastic album. And yeah, I'm with you, man. That's that's an adir.
1: Yeah, it's you know for an album where he really gets deep in a lot of places. This one just seems sort of vapid, um, way too carefree. And, and you're right, it, it just it doesn't fit. I, I think you could, you know, there's a lot of albums that we've done where we come up with a Nadir, where even though it may be my Nadir, I wouldn't take it off
0: the album. This one, I would just take it off. Like, I don't think you need it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Get, get rid of it entirely. He'd have been better off doing another cover song instead of, instead of Soul Free. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, do the, you know, the, the Bonnie Raitt, he does, uh, on the extended version, the, uh, I can't
0: make you love me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It yeah, is a pretty, uh, pretty good version of that.
0: Great, great version. That was from his MTV unplugged when they re-released this album, uh, they added the second CD of bonus tracks, which included all his entire MTV unplugged from, I think 1995 or 96. Right, right around there, yeah. Yeah, he does a great, great version. Yeah, That would have been much better. Anything. But let's not shit on the album too, shall we? No, 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 no shit. <laughs> I mean, bad enough the man's dead. Um, so, <laughs> he's not here to defend himself. So, let, let's go to the sleeper moment. What do you have?
1: Uh, for me, this was actually a no-brainer. Um, to me, the sleeper is Cowboys and Angels. Um, great song released as a single and I believe it was his his worst selling single of all time but I think it's fantastic you know this is the one that's kind of like a a lounge singer type song you know it starts with this moody introduction and then it kicks into the jazzy drum beat and it's
0: just beautiful it's got a bossa nova vibe to it yeah
1: totally yeah it's got this kind of distortion with the microphone makes it interesting it just feels like this song feels to me like a smoke-filled room. Um,
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: In a, in a great jazz bar. You know, I read it's about sort of a love triangle that he was in where there was a, a woman who was in love with him and he was not in love with her, he was in love with another guy. And I think nobody sort of knew how the other felt about <laughs> each other. And, you know, he said it's a song about not getting what you want and, you know, the frustration of that. And I just think it's, I think it's beautiful.
0: My favorite song on the album. Is it really? It is. Yeah, it's my favorite song on the album. It really—I think it's a beautiful song. I had no idea what it was about. Um, some of the lyrics are quite dark. Uh, you know, what's the the refrain or the, the chorus is? Uh, that scar on your face, that beautiful face of yours. Um, you know, it's there. There's there's some serious shit going on um, in that song, but I I absolutely love it. I didn't even know that it was released as a single. Interesting, because because it, it is really such a deep sleeper cut.
1: It is, yeah. I was surprised to find that out too, because I can't remember ever hearing it on the radio.
0: No, never. And I don't know that there was a music video for it either. But um, not
1: sure, not sure. Oh, what, what a what did a, you what a great song. What did you go with for your uh, your sleeper?
0: Whew. I was torn. I mean, really torn between two songs. And Chris, it came down to a game time decision. I mean, I made this decision. Less than an hour ago. Um, I've listened to this album hundreds of times over the years, but listening to it several times over the last week or so, a deep cut really stood out to me. And it's one that I had largely ignored previously. And it's track number four Something to Save. It's a great one. Yeah. Great song. And it's one that I had sort of ignored, but it's this simple acoustical love song. It's incredibly catchy. Sometimes it's very moving. And I think it's the very definition of a sleeper. Um, I don't believe it was released as a single. And I love the, the George Michael vocal overdubs that he does in it, creating this perfect harmony at times in the song. It's almost Brian Wilson-esque. And, um, you know, the fact that you have a song as good as this as a sleeper, I think speaks volumes to how good the rest of the album is. Totally, yeah. I mean, that's the one that I
1: considered, if not Cowboys and Angels, because it is. It's just kind of nestled in there. You can kind of breeze over it, but yeah, just some really beautiful songwriting and
0: beautiful tune. Oh, is. Yes. Love that song. And again, it's it's a song that previously I you know I would listen to, but I would kind of tune out a little bit. And it's really just been over the last week or so that I've not only embraced it, but I've kept going back to that song over and over again. Because I'll be honest with you, I said I was torn between two songs. The uh, one that I was going to go with up until about an hour ago was um, Heal the Pain. Oh, really? Love oh, Heal the goodness. Pain. Great song. Released as a single, but not a song that most people know. But, uh, I don't know, I think uh, something to save is, is the true definition of a sleeper
1: yeah yeah i think they're both good choices but i I really do like something to save
0: this this takes us to to the zenith and now i'm wondering what did you go with
1: to me this was this was actually a pretty easy choice i know you really labored over this um this week but to me it is this album just starts out with such a bang with praying for time Yes. yes I think it's incredible. It is it is deep and dark and, you know, it's a real indictment of a lot of the ills of society, but it's, you know, it's kind of anthemic. I just, man, I just adore this song. I think it's the best one on the album. I mean, the, you know, I agree Cowboys and Angels is up there. And I think Freedom, you know, listening to Freedom again, I was never a huge Freedom song back in the day, but that one is... Oh my God, it's so good. But this one to me, just, it is such an emotional tour de force. Beautiful lyrically. I'm talking about the times today. The rich declare themselves poor, and most of us are not sure if we have too much. But we'll take our chances, because God stopped keeping score. I guess somewhere along the way, he must have let us all out to play. Turned his back, and all God's children crept out the back door. It's dark shit. It's
0: dark shit. Lyrically, it's incredible. And musically, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, it has this slow kind of build, and um, I think it's one of his best. I it may, you know, I think it's definitely the top three or four George Michael songs of all time. I would agree. Yeah. Now, you t- you said that "Cowboys and Angels" is your favorite track on the album.
0: Yes. Yeah, so this was another situation where I found myself torn. Mm-hmm. This time between three different songs. I have a lot of sentimental nostalgia associated with waiting for that day, uh, which I, I absolutely love. And as I said a little while ago, yes, Cowboys and Angels is probably my favorite song on the album. It's beautiful, it's haunting. But in the end, Christopher, we are two for three today. I went with praying for time as well. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. It's not necessarily my single favorite song on the album, but I think it's the best song, and I think it's the most important, and it's the most indicative of, of the risk that he took with this album. Um, cause, cause, hear me out. When I listen to Praying for Time, you know, I try to turn back the clock, and I imagine being like a 17... Wait, wait a second. That didn't sound right. So let, let me... Let me rephrase that for a moment. But let's think for a moment about those girls who were all of 14 or 15 when Faith came out, okay? They're like freshmen in high school, 1988. They watch the videos of George Michael shaking his ass. They ran out to buy the cassette. They have posters of him hanging on their walls in their bedroom. They fantasize about him. George Michael's everything to them. A couple years later, these girls are a little bit older. And they hear that Jordan Michael has a new album coming out. They're salivating with excitement, thinking about how the new batch of songs will sound. They can't wait for the music videos to see him shake his ass again. And then what's the first single released off of the album? Praying for Time. Right. And you could almost hear a collective what the fuck from these girls who were all expecting Faith Part 2 not only is the song a complete departure complete opposite of what they're expecting but the music video to praying for time he doesn't even appear in the video in fact all the video is the lyrics of the song projected onto the screen okay all that aside the song holds up so incredibly well you said it best it's anthemic and 30 years after its release the song's message is still incredibly relevant I think maybe even more so now, you you said it, it's a tour de force, it's a bold move, it's an incredible song.
1: Yeah, and yeah, to kick it off with this, I mean, he had to come out big and bold, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna come out with this album that says, this is who I am, and you're, it's not who, who you think it is you know, you gotta come out and you have to grab people right away and this one doesn't, I mean, it just, um, you know, to me, it's one of these songs where when it comes on, you just kind of stop what you're doing and listen um, because it's that, the tension and
0: emotion in it is that palpable. Um, it, it is, and, and when you think of how, you know, go back to 1988, go back to Faith, and the song kicks off with the line, well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know that not everybody's got a body like you. And then fast forward ahead to two years, and he opens the whole damn album with, these are the days of the open hand. They will not be the last. Look around now. These are the days of the beggars and the choosers. Yeah. I- it's incredible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, and the, I mean, the way it ends, uh, the wounded skies above say it's much too late. So maybe we should all be praying for time. I mean, you know, and this is where I think, too, you know, I think the, the whole his homosexuality comes in here, especially with the AIDS crisis and the way that that just ravaged that community. Um, you know, the idea of, of time running out, it really touches on that. And, I, and so there's a there's a great quote from uh, Pitchfork writer Alfred Soto pertaining to this. He said, for those of us too young for the plague years, who can imagine at least a life lived instead of convulsing in agony on a hospital bed? Chastising Michael for leaning on elegies and ballads in 1990 strikes me as glib. In its original form, Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, was the follow-up that faith demanded. In this new incarnation, it's a miscellany unruffled by notions of coherence, an attempt to make art out of George Michael's
0: quarrels with himself. I think that sums it up beautifully. I agree. It really does. And, you know, you, you touched upon something, how in some ways the song addresses the AIDS crisis uh, that was ravaging the world and, and largely the homosexual community uh, in the 80s and, and 90s and Look, here we are 30 years later, and there's another crisis <laughs> ravaging the world. And uh, the lyrics to Praying for Time are as relevant now in 2020 as they were in 1990.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. Maybe that's part of the reason why this jumped out so much at me. Um, you know, the darkness and gloom of it um, with, a, with a little bit of hope thrown in there.
0: How well do you think the album captures the cultural zeitgeist of the era?
1: That's a tricky one. I think there's, I think there's parts of this that are, are pretty indicative of some types of music at that era. But I think generally it's, you know, it's kind of a mashup of things that are much older, um, you know, sort of gospel type songs like uh, they won't go when I go, uh, which is a, haunting song and that's uh, a cover that's an old stevie wonder song is it i didn't even realize that okay um but it's stuff like that or it's things like something to save um you know which are uh, in some ways i think a little bit ahead of their time um so I, I don't know that it really reflects the time i think it's it's both a call back to the past and uh, and also a little bit ahead of its time. So I don't I don't know that it really reflects the zeitgeist, um, except in, like, we've been talking about certain social issues that come up that certainly are apropos for that time.
0: What, what are your thoughts? See, it's interesting, because I don't think... I don't think musically, aside from the aforementioned Blue-Eyed Soul, I don't think musically the album really captures the cultural zeitgeist of the era. And yet there is so much that surrounds this album and so much that's associated with some of the songs that I think helps it perfectly capture the zeitgeist of the era. Case in point, let's go back to the Faith video, which we didn't speak of yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, 90s was, the, the, the 1990s were the era of the supermodel okay? And okay. George Michael makes the decision not to appear in the music video, and instead rounds up the best and the most absolutely gorgeous and sexiest supermodels of the era, Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista, Christy Turlington, and I think one or two others.
1: Cindy Crawford.
0: And Cindy Crawford's in there as well. Thank you. And they all appear in that video, and that video becomes such an important piece of later 90s nostalgia. It's one of the most famous videos MTV ever aired. Uh, so I think that right there makes the album sort of uh, have a little cultural zeitgeist associated to it. And here's another thing people have forgotten. The song Mother's Pride. Do you remember Mother's Pride? It's on the album. Yeah. Do you remember how and why it got some airplay in 1991? The Iraq War. The Iraq War, and they did a re-edit of it where they included snippets of phone calls between soldiers stationed in Iraq back home to their parents in the United States. Hmm. Um, so I think when you when you factor in that, when you factor in the Blue Eyed Soul, when you factor in, of course, the Faith video, and as as you indicated, the references to the AIDS crisis, I think it does a pretty good job of capturing the cultural zeitgeist. Maybe not musically, but in all those other peripheral ways.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, um, you know, maybe there's also something too that the 80s was filled with so much decadence. um, You know, and this is 1990. You know, we haven't quite gotten into the grunge thing, but uh, I think after all of that extravagance of the eighties people were sort of looking for some kind of deeper meaning. Uh, and that's sort of what this album is doing. So maybe in a way that, you know, that does reflect the time too.
0: Do you have uh, any particular memories or any sort of pop culture references associated with the album that, uh, that come to mind?
1: Well, I think there's a couple. I mean, one that I was going to touch on is just the, which you hit on already, the, the Freedom video, um, I mean, that was, you know, that came out when we were, what, 13 years old? And uh, to a 13-year-old boy, that video was <laughs> the greatest thing in the world. Um, I mean, well,
0: no, Late Night Cinemax was the greatest thing in the world, but this was a close second.
1: <laughs> no comment. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that video, it was huge. It was iconic, and... um. You know, that song at the time, maybe it's because I was blown away by the video, but I never really was big into that song. But listening to it again the past couple of weeks, that is a perfect kind of power pop song right there.
0: It really is. It really is.
1: So good. And,
0: and it holds up so damn well.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and the other thing I was going to mention, and this is a... This is on YouTube, video that, that you sent to me, um, and I can put the link up on our, our Twitter page, but um, it's a lot of famous musicians and personalities listening to Praying for Time, uh, right. kind of giving their thoughts on it.
0: Uh, it's from a, uh, I think a 2016 or 2017 Showtime documentary on George Michael.
1: On this album, actually. Yeah. And it's, ama- I mean, you see just how moving that song is. I mean, James, James Corden, the, the talk show host is on there and he, uh, you know, he almost breaks down just listening to it. It gets very emotional. Um, but it's really, it's always great to see artists sort of reflecting on other artists' work, I think. And that's a great example of people, talented people giving George Michael the recognition that that he really fully deserves as an artist, you know, not just a pop icon.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah. How about you? What do you, what do you got for pop culture, personal references?
0: I have a lot of memories associated with this album, several. Um, but you know, the one that I think stands out the most or the one that I will share on this episode, uh, is, is associated with waiting for that day. Um, in 1999, George Michael released a greatest hits compilation called Ladies and Gentlemen, the best of George Michael. And it was a two CD set, which was interesting because he had only had two studio albums up until that point. Uh, so somehow the record company decided to release a two CD greatest hits compilation or whatever. I think it had some of this wham stuff on there. Um, so I picked it up. And I really, waiting for that day was on there, and I really, really got into it. And um, fast forward ahead a couple months later to that summer, summer of 1999, and there was a divey bar by the beach where we grew up in Connecticut. Uh, I think you know the bar that I'm referring to. It still is there. And they had, uh, you you remember, Chris, the old CD jukeboxes that you used to see at bars, Uh, with big numbers that looked like it was a touch-tone telephone that you typed in the code. And Listen Without Prejudice was one of the CDs in the jukebox. And we were there, a bunch of friends and I, so often that summer. And I would always put $5 into the jukebox, pick a few songs, and that was always the first one that I would play. And, uh, you know, there'd be 10 to 15 of us uh, at the bar, hanging out, drinking Cheap beer because we were all in college, um, but every time that song would come on, we would all just smile and and get into that song so much, and not just us, but so many others in the bar. And um, it's it's interesting because it kind of defined the summer of 1999 for me, even though it was almost a decade after the song was released. It was just a, a very upbeat, on the surface, a very upbeat happy song even though the lyrics aren't necessarily all that happy, but just a very infectious groove and a great song a lot of memories associated with it
1: yeah right it's great now what do you think perfect album i don't think it is um i'm kind of drawn back to the nadir and uh so what is it soul free uh um, sure that really is kind of a a black mark against it um but, you know i feel like it it tails off a little towards the end i you know not to take too much away from it because i think it's i think it's a brilliant album uh and i think it does showcase him as a true artist um i just don't think it's
0: quite perfect how about you it's a great album it's my personal favorite george michael album but a perfect album i'm not so sure I admire the the big risk that he took making the album. Uh he could have just given everyone what they wanted which would have been Faith Volume 2, you know. And maybe maybe he should have looking back, you know. But instead I think George Michael gave us a deeply personal album and a damn good one at that. Perfect? No. But it's a damn good album. It's one that I really like. And you know for a guy, Chris, who released only five studio albums in his career as a solo artist, one of which was in, consisted entirely of cover songs, George Michael left us with an incredible, incredible body of work. And I think that's something that shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about, before we came on, you mentioned this. This came out when he was 27.
0: 27 years old.
1: 27 years old. I mean, it's an incredibly deep, thought-provoking album for somebody that age. Um, You know, you you could have easily seen him throw out a few more Faith-type albums and do something like this when he's in his 40s. Um, You know, when when he's had a little more chance to kind of reflect back on things. Um, But I think this shows that he was, you know, he's a a
0: brilliant guy in a lot of ways. (laughs) He really was. And I think that uh, between this episode and next week's episode, I would strongly encourage all of our listeners to really give a good listen to Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, which turns 30 years old this month. But, Chris, uh, I think you have something else that our listeners should maybe listen to as well. Uh, do you want to make mention of that?
1: Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast closely um and also we're putting together a spotify playlist which has all i'm gonna gonna
0: stop you right there yeah Uh, as much as i'd love to take the credit for it you've been putting this together chris not me so this is really not that hard Uh, uh but thank
1: you yeah um yeah so we're i'm i'm putting it together it's got all of our sleeper and zenith picks we're leaving out the nadirs you don't need to hear those. Uh, You don't want (laughs) to hear this. So it's basically all of the, you know, all of our top picks from uh, all 20 episodes. So, you know, the idea is ideally at some point we would like to get this thing to where we can play clips of the songs during the podcast, but that costs a lot of money and uh, we're still building up. So this is a way where you pull up the Spotify playlist. It's, it's just called the official listen closely with. John and Chris playlist. Um, You know, and you can have that up. And as you're listening to each episode, you know, you want to hear the songs that we're talking about. You can just flip over and and give them a listen.
0: Sounds perfect. Yeah. Chris, thank you for this. It's a pleasure as always. And for all of you out there, thank you as always for listening. And please tune in next week for more. Listen closely John and Chris. Take care, John. So long.